You're listening to the Mullet Cast, the podcast where business and pleasure collide. With your host. Say my name, say my name. Evan Balmer, Evan Balmer. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a nice day. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mullet Cast, the podcast where business and pleasure collide. My name is Evan Balmer. Follow me on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Uh, today we're joined by Chef Matt Collins. Check out Matt on Instagram at Chef Collins Events and check out his website, uh, www.chefcollinsevents.com. Uh, and definitely, are your t shirts available on the, the website as well? Yeah, they're on my, oh, there's a tab. All right, cool. So you got some, uh, you just unroll, unfurled some new t-shirts on Instagram I saw, so I want to make sure people know where to buy those. Yeah, they're pretty dope. They're only going to be available for the next uh, couple of weeks, and they're uh, printed to order, so they're pretty exclusive. That's sweet. I like those. Um, so I, I just want to share something real quick. Is um, You and I met not so long ago through networking, et cetera, um, and you know, I find that the chefs I've known in my life, as well as just restaurant staff in general, have like a very uh, twisted sense of humor. So I, I definitely always enjoy <laughs> my conversations and you're no different. Um, and I don't know if this is like too soon um, or insensitive, but, you know, I just I just uh, you didn't know my number. So I crank called you before and, you know, asked if you were Chef Collins, you know, and I'd attended your event and caught the coronavirus at your event. Um, and you were a little bit freaked out by that call, I think. Yeah, well, at first I just thought I thought you were um, I thought you were like uh, someone. You have a New York phone number which I didn't know, and I I thought someone was calling me about catering at first, so I picked up, and then your voice sounded like this comedian from the show I listened to, so I thought I was getting pranked. So I went, I got pretty stressed pretty fast, and then you changed your voice back to your good, uh, you know. Q01, you know, the radio guy from, uh, and then I was like, oh God, it's Evan. And I still didn't believe it was you for like a split second. I was trying to channel like my early, uh, jerky boys. Like, I don't know if you, if, if those tapes have made their way down to your, your generation or not. No, no, I'm, I'm not that young. I mean, LimeWire came out and like Metallica complained about Napster and everything when I was in like middle school. Okay. But I mean, I, I bought, I've purchased cassette tapes like before it was like this like hipster Brooklyn thing to do. Oh, sweet. That's cool. There was a label in Brooklyn actually not so long ago that was like giving away cassette players with, with their releases on cassettes. It was pretty sweet. I don't know if you remember the, those cassette players that had like the little handle that slid out. I, I've, I've had one of those. Yeah, those uh, it broke. It broke. It shredded my uh, uh, October Rust by typo negative cassette tape I oh, had. And so I kind of swore them off. I, I threw it in the garbage. So, all right, why don't we start with music since you're talking typo already? Like, let's just jump right <laughs> into right. it. Um, so you, before your career in the culinary arts, dabbled, you know, you were in the music business, basically. Um, doing some booking, managing, playing, I think, too, right? Yeah, very poorly. I try not to talk about the playing. But, uh, yeah, I kind of did. I, I From a young age, I was cooking um, uh, and attending uh, high school where we were cooking as well and being taught to cook mm-hmm. and then playing in bands. And then some point when I was in college at the Culinary Institute of America, I got really involved and wanted to like kind of book shows and manage my friends' bands. And I started a record label called uh, Mosh Records. Nice. Joking about a mosh pit, but it was spelled in the way that the, like, uh, heirloom salad green. So M-A-C-H-E <laughs> with a little accent over the A. Nobody ever got the joke. Everyone always referred to it as Mache Records, <laughs> which makes no no sense. And um, it, it didn't work out too well. But it was fun while it lasted. I think I did that for like three or four years. That's pretty sweet. So you remind me, like one thing, I thought you were going to go with like moshed potatoes, like maybe something you incorporate into your, your current repertoire. Um, oh, man. Yeah. But oddly enough, like an early, I don't even know when this was, entertainment company I had that I don't even know what we were doing, but uh, it was Eddie Yamame Entertainment. <laughs> 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 
and like that's another one that no one got like actually my costco membership still gets sent to like eddie yamame entertainment for some reason <laughs> because you can't update it or whatever so it's good stuff knowing that both of us have seen the movie high fidelity mm. i feel like we should have learned from like poor puns right uh, and naming like top five records is not a good name for a record store right obviously right. you sell more than five records yes. and then us trying to be funny and make niche play on words really really doesn't help the business model which is why i went with such a simple name for like this endeavor yeah i mean i like the the keeping it simple like people you can't forget it and you're the same across all platforms which helps too yeah i don't want to shout anybody out or call them out but uh the people at uh um smiling earth mushrooms uh they thought my name was colin sevenths <laughs> and they would tell me I needed to put dashes or periods, and I laughed hysterically, and they laughed. And uh, I've been getting called Colin a lot. That's uh, cool. That's I guess when you look this Irish, uh, people just think your name's Colin. That's mm, true. So, where were you booking gigs, and what kind of music, and all that stuff? Yeah, um, I was doing, um, I guess, a lot of like metal and punk and stuff from New Jersey, and a lot of stuff coming in from out of states. Mm. Uh, I was doing, uh, I had a bunch of different venues. I was doing the Free Old VFW, Mattiswan Fire, uh, First Aid and Fire Hall on, what is that, 34 or something. Mm -hmm. uh, down in Brick at the Moose Lodge, which I think got flooded in Sandy or whatever store that was. Right. And then a, a lot of uh, frat houses and punk houses in New Brunswick. Nice. So I kind of had a pretty good spread. It kind of made it easier. Certain bands draw better in certain towns. This is kind of before asbury got as cool as it is now because mm -hmm. it was kind of harder to they didn't really have like house independence or some of these other clubs and pretty much uh you had the old asbury lanes which was in like this weird influx before it went out of business and right it was like they had booking agents there that very rarely did they let anyone else do shows so it's really kind of different now like playing the show at the saint like 10 years ago meant like you were playing for like the sound guy Right. And now if you play at the Saint, uh, there's people at the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's pretty funny. So were you cooking at that time too, or were you like full in on trying to get a music career going? Um, well, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I pretty much started the record company uh, on like a suspension hiatus from the Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> um I like to party a lot, right? So uh, uh, the similarities with me and Anthony Bourdain are uh, uh, outside of we uh, definitely not heroin, but everything else uh, we share a lot of similarities, right? Um, and so I did that. I booked a tour while I was in school, and then uh, I ended up getting told I couldn't attend class for six months, and then I went on the tour down to like Virginia Beach, Roanoke. Uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, and like back to New Jersey. Nice. And then there was a second leg I didn't go on to like Connecticut and Massachusetts and like Albany. So why do you get uh, suspended from culinary? Is it because like your uh, your lev your spices are off in the uh, in your food preparation? No, it was like uh, well, so I went to culinary school when I was seventeen. <laughs> right. And so it was like, you know, uh, underage drinking and mm. stuff like that, partying. And, and, you know, I accrued enough demerits uh, that they were like, hey, man, like, we're not going to tell you again. You just keep getting caught, like, partying or throwing a party in a dorm room, and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So you so, started there when you were 17. Yeah, That's I went in the summer. Young. Wow. Yeah. That's I'm a, a summer birthday. Right. So. Gotcha. That's intense. Yeah. I mean, it's not like partying didn't go down at the Culinary Institute. I told you before my sister went there. Mm -hmm. um, so I've definitely logged some hours at the Culinary and, you know, some of the, you know, some wild times for sure. Um, yeah, well, it's a huge mix of people, too. So, like, most of my friends when I went, I was like... Yeah, you're 17, probably hanging around with, like, 50-year-old uh, former like drug 30s. dealers and, you know... Yeah, there was one guy I hung out with. He owned a bunch of car washes in, like, Ohio, and then he just wanted to go to culinary school, and he was, like... 65 year old man and right. just loved smoking weed yep and he was in one of my classes and he would just invite me over to just hang out and like listen to like classic records it was really weird i always thought he was gonna like pull some weirdo stuff <laughs> well because it's like old enough almost to be like uh like older than like my parents and my uncle and stuff at that time right so he was almost like grandfather level gotcha 
yeah. in my eyes, I guess. Now it's like not that weird. Yeah, but. I mean, my sister was the same. She was like a second, um, you know, kind of went later in life after she figured out like college wasn't for her, had worked for a while, that kind of stuff. And her friends were definitely a mix of like, there was a dude um, uh, definitely in his 50s she was buddies with. There were like, you know, people like you that were straight out of high school, you know, so it was definitely like way across the board of all different types of people, you know, a lot of people like, um, like discovered their passion, like as a second career, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. It was really strange. Me and a good friend of mine, we actually kind of made fun of like the intro of Saturday night live. Right. So like when people would come into class, we had nicknames for everybody. <laughs> right. And so we would just like be like, um, we would mostly people from movies and stuff, you know, I, but I, I specifically now I'm remembering there was this man named Jerry and he was like a Mexican American guy from like Dallas or San Antonio or something. Mm -hmm. And he was like, like 40 years old or something. Really nice guy, like the nicest guy in the world. And I, I'd always be like, yo, man, would you like hang out? And he like never wanted to hang out. Right. Cause he's like twice, <laughs> twice my age. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, dude, we're having a party. Like, you want to come? And he's like, obviously thinking, I'm an adult. I can't be drinking with like these like 18 year old kids. Right. You know what I mean? So it was always like kind of funny at the time. We were like, oh, hey, Jerry's such a bummer. He never wants to hang out. And then it's like, he's like a 40 year old man. <laughs> right. And we're like thinking he's like a jerk. And it's like, yeah. he, he's just like worried about like getting arrested or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Turns out he was, you know, had a good head on his shoulders. No, good guy though. Really right. nice guy. That's funny, man. Um, all right. So probably when they told you to take a little hiatus, they didn't expect you to go on tour, you know, to, to settle you down. You know? Well, it was literally, I had one more class before I graduated. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, I, I had a guy, I don't want to tell the whole story, but pretty right. much I had a guy come and it was table service and he owned a winery in South Jersey. So I was talking to him, he was inviting me and then the teacher caught me drinking a swig of the wine before I got rid of it. Uh, it was like this whole big thing. Right. It was like really, you know what I mean? It was like, I don't know. So is that like a Illegal, caddyshack? Yes, but it was to talk about the wine to the guy uh, potentially maybe get me a job when I graduated. So nice. they didn't see it that way. That's right. So it, it wasn't like uh, Spalding and Caddyshack, like sipping cocktails as you walked around the... Uh... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the reception. No, yeah. Well, I went down pretty hard. I, I didn't take it too well. Mm. Um, but All right, so you ended up coming back to culinary and graduating. Yeah, I went back six months later. I took like my final class. Uh, I retook the class they made me in my final class. Uh, I graduated November 2009. Nice. And um, yeah, and uh, as much as they taught me, it didn't really. I didn't think about getting a job right away. It was mm -hmm. all like, I'm going to book bands, which was really stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, after you graduated, you kept booking bands. Were you working in restaurants or anything at the time? I actually couldn't I, – I moved back to New Jersey, and I actually couldn't get hired anywhere. The food scene in New Jersey 11, 11 years ago was super different than it was now. Right. You know, so that was part of me relocating back here. You can just go get, like, fresh microgreens and, like, really cool, like, heirloom vegetables and all this stuff now that 10 years ago, restaurants didn't even have that stuff wow. around this area. Gotcha. Um, so I, I remember applying to the cheesecake factory right? and the guy, uh, made me come to the interview. I wore like a, you know, business attire coming out of CA. You're always freshly shaved, mm -hmm. you know, wearing business attire whenever you're on campus. Right. And so I went to this thing, the guy sat down for three seconds and was just like, yeah, I'm not going to hire you. Cause like, you're not going to like it. And I'm like, I obviously shaved, got dressed, polished my shoes, came to this interview. Like, can you just give me a shot? And the guy was like, nah, I'm good. Are you serious? And I think it was more or less he thought I was going to take his job or something. Right. At this point, I'm like 20, 19, 20 years old. And uh, I don't know. I just took it not well. Right. And then I, you know, I worked like some really odd jobs. Like I worked at like a liquor store. Mm -hmm. uh, worked at Starbucks. Right. <laughs> and then I, I got a call to go to the city. I, you know, ended up re relocating there and getting a job. So that's cool. So what, were you, what was your first gig in the city? Uh, first gig is something I, I actually really love talking about because it's so odd and that you never meet anyone who's ever worked there. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine who dropped out of CIA's father was the chef at Smith Malensky's. Right. So he went to like India and I went and I got a job there. And it was like a union kitchen. Uh, so everyone worked there for like 25 years. Right. So it was like pretty interesting to work there. 
and be super young and um yeah that's like a, the, the white guy is that a place like are, are people wearing like the white jackets and serving and stuff like that um i room? remember I more of like different. a monkey oh no yeah yeah they do because yeah. there's two rooms so there's the grill and then there's the main dining room right and yeah, they have those like butcher jackets with the embroidery yeah, yeah, yeah. on them. But that Smith Walensky's is the only one that's not part of the chain. Okay. So like they sold all the others to like a big company and they only operate that one. So it's a union. Nice. And it's really, really kind of crazy place. So like down on into it. Hudson? No, it's actually in Midtown. Uh, so it's on Third Avenue and like 49th. Uh, I'm thinking of it. Kind of by place. Rockefeller Center. Okay. You're probably thinking of Delmonico's. Hmm. Really like yeah. the oldest restaurant gotcha. ever. Gotcha. Okay. But it's pretty much, it feels like it's the oldest restaurant ever. Right. They shot that scene in American Psycho there nice. when <laughs> William Defoe is upstairs interviewing Christian Bale. Right. That's that's Smith Walensky's. Is it really? Yeah, there's a bunch of other movies, that's like cool. for sure, that were shot there. Because, like, all the celebrities that I cooked for was insane. It was like Entourage was big at the time. Right. Like, all those guys. Uh, Turtle came in. Uh, uh, Slayer. I remember cooking for Slayer. No way. Like every every guy in the Knicks, every guy in the Giants. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Giuliani when he was cool. Right. <laughs> Back I'm not day. a political guy, but <laughs> what? Um, it was cool. It was cool to see Giuliani ten years ago. And what was your job sure. there? What were you doing? Oh man, I just opened oysters, nice. sliced cakes, made salads. Right. Um. I would do other stuff because I was very eager, mm-hmm. but all the cranky old men like really didn't like it. Right. They were like, you know what I mean? They're like, you don't get paid as much money as I do. Like kind of like chill. So I knew who was like a cool guy. And then I knew who was like the old, like grunt, like the union guy who would get upset if you wanted to like learn anything. Right. So it wasn't really like the best environment to like grow, but it was like fun to get acclimated to the high volume in New York city. So it's almost like one of those like books you read about, uh, chefs and their first like big job and right like how they're like you know like bright wide-eyed and all that kind of stuff totally so what did you take from that gig to your next job and and where did you go after that um yeah so pretty pretty odd actually what happened was because of the union environment after like nine months of working there they wanted me to take unemployment and mm-hmm. not work because mm-hmm. i was the newest person to get hired by like two years or something right so they had to cut my hours completely and they were telling me just to like hang out and someone kind of whispered in my ear. There's a place around the corner. So I went to this place around the corner, mm-hmm. worked there, uh, ended up working really hard. Uh, there was like talks of like promoting me and then it just kind of never happened. And then there was a really great restaurant around the corner with really crazy chef, this guy Nahid. Ahmed mm-hmm. used to work for Grey Coons at Lespinas and all these crazy restaurants around the world. And I was like really enamored by this guy. Right. So I decided to like kind of tell the people that I wasn't going to wait any longer for the promotion, which I kind of didn't really deserve the promotion. I just worked hard, mm-hmm. but I was still really young and didn't know that much. And I went to like this totally different direction for fine dining. Um, but then Sandy happened and a tree fell into the restaurant. It closed and then my phone rang and they rubbed it in my face. And I went back to the big restaurant and worked for them for like another two years. Wow. So it was like really, really funny. So I worked hard enough for them to call me and bring me back. Um, and give me, and they gave me the promotion then. <laughs> That's cool. So sometimes you got to know when to like pick your battles. And I learned so much putting that job on hold and going to this other place mm-hmm. and really kind of opened my eyes. And I learned more and probably, those like four five months before the the storm that i learned like probably in like all, the rest of my ye- like years of working outside of maybe like being in europe right like it was like really eye-opening there was like things i never even thought about that's cool um and what were you doing it like how did your responsibility increase during that time um so pretty much I was just working stations in the one job. And then mm-hmm. the, when I left to go to the like fine dining restaurant, it was like I went in every day at like 11 or t- 12. Uh, it was actually a weird period where I was like I'd slept at the restaurant a lot. Right. Which you, well, it was that small of a restaurant that probably wouldn't happen today for sure. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and 
pretty much like learned how to do every every little thing in the restaurant. So that really helped prepare me for when I did get the promotion at the like the higher volume place. Right. Because I was so used to like ordering food, receiving deliveries, putting everything away, being really accountable mm-hmm. for every little thing I did, and then not relying on other people to, you know, like you know, clean a vegetable or something for me. Right. Just knowing like like taking care of it from when it came in the door to it went on the plate. And just really being like exposed to all that was like something that now they're really trying to figure out how to like reconstruct the restaurants. Mm-hmm. So a lot of restaurants you go in, there's like a, a prep cook who makes all your stuff. You kind of come in at four or five o'clock, bring it upstairs, crank out some s- stuff, write a list, clean and go home. Right. So like that's really what they're doing now. Right. A lot of places. So it was really nice to like work in all these different aspects of the restaurant mm-hmm. and see things through all the way. Because there's such like an accountability aspect of knowing that you touched everything or you had like involvement in everything. Right. And so it just really it was a really small crew. I think the kitchen staff was like four people. Wow. Maybe maybe five, including myself. And so it was like being a part of that. You're like, I don't know. It just makes you really accountable. So Mm -hmm. then when you go to like another restaurant and you're in charge of 15 people at a time or more, you know, what I mean, like you have this like level of care towards everything that really helps you become a leader because everything is important to you right without being a crazy person but that you learn that later because otherwise you're angry about everything and then people don't want to work with you because Uh they just think you're never going to be happy right so it's a really fine line to walk (laughs) that's true and probably not many people master like that balance you know I mean, yeah, I, it took me a really long time. I think it took me until like maybe 27, mm-hmm. 26 maybe. Right. And certain people you ask will say I still don't have it, but I like to think I, I got it down a couple of years ago. That's cool. And what, um, when did you get your, like, what was the move to get your own restaurant? Like become a chef yeah, for the restaurant? Of course. Yeah. I that? bounced around. Uh, well, I didn't really bounce around that much. Um, you know, I worked some pretty long tenures, like, you know, a minimum of a year in a couple places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided to invest and go to Europe for about, I went for like four and a half months. Where'd you I go? I worked for a little bit. Uh, I went to Geneva, took a train to Lyon, mm-hmm. then I flew down to Barcelona, took a train up the coast, went to Roses, checked out El Bulli. Uh, which wasn't even open at the time, but it was just like this mecca of inspiration for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, went up to the south of France to Bézier, worked for a week and a half at Chateau de Lignon, which is like a really small like French villa. Uh, I forget what whatever rating they have, but it was a pretty nice place. That's cool. Went to Bordeaux and Paris and then uh, came home. So it was a nice couple months of just like opening and thinking and being alone, you really get to reflect with your thoughts a lot more. Mm. So you're not like distracted by other people. So it's like pretty nice. And that's cool. And do you have a meal from that time that just, you can never forget? Uh, I had, I ate at so many places. Mm. I maybe spent like $20,000 <laughs> like on this trip. I right. missed out like every credit card, but I remember I ate at, um, uh, restaurant Paul Bocuse in Lyon. Right. And, uh, I sat down at the dinner. I was by myself. It's like, I forget like 400 euros or something. And I was so excited. And the first dish came out, which was like, uh, a chicken consomme with truffles and like a dome, like puff pastry lid. Mm -hmm. And when I opened it up and smelled it and like took the first bite, I just started crying, (laughs) not like excessively crying, but like just weeped. Like I had like you know, like in a movie, like I just had tears kind of coming down my face. And right. I like visibly looked upset because I like couldn't believe I was there. I thought I was like sleeping. Yeah. Because it was something I thought about for so long. And then I couldn't believe I actually like did it. Wow. And so like really kind of like I was embarrassed. I was like I had like a $300 bottle of like champagne at the table by myself. And <laughs> right. I was like crying. Like I was like I'm by myself. Like people must think like my date skipped out on me or right. something. So, but that was really crazy. And that was one of the first nice meals I had. Yeah, that is, I thought you were a there. food critic. 
yeah it was like a couple it was like a day be- the day before valentine's day or something too mm. or like that week right. so i think people thought like i got a divorce and made up by myself or something <laughs> that's right but it really moved me um and just to hear like these like ancient dishes like yeah. you're a big baseball buff it, to me it felt like seeing like babe ruth or joe dimaggio play baseball mm, that's cool and it was just like crazy where i was like how did i get in this time machine and go to this wacky place on the other side of the planet yeah i mean i was fortunate working in the music business and traveling for tours in europe a lot um <clears throat> especially when you're on tour you always have a local promoter that's trying to impress you by taking you to the best, you know, what they view as the best restaurants or whatever. Um, so we were fortunate to, you know, eat really well. So like the one, one meal I think of, and the only reason I think of it the most is because it was so odd at the time it was in Barcelona actually. And it was a steak with a pomegranate sauce. And it it just like, it was so bizarre, like sounding, that I was like, I got to try this. And it was like the most amazing thing I've ever had in my life. I don't know why, you know, it was like just, it was simple, but just so cool and unexpected to me at the, the time. The meat in Spain is pretty good though. Mm. And like then, outside of pomegranate sauce. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, I never really caught on here. You don't hear that level. Level. Yeah. And then, you know, I did, I wish I could remember where we were because there is one meal in Paris one time that, um, that was my first real experience with like a, a meal with like from every course with the, a pairing of like wines for everything, like down to, you know, cheese courses and all that stuff. Like it was just like fascinating to me how all of that played together. Like that was a, a pretty cool experience also. Yeah. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with like, I've obviously eaten at restaurants before that in mm-hmm. America before I went, but it has a lot to do with like the services I want to provide in people's homes and with my business model and, and doing all that because mm-hmm. I could probably you could probably do like a four part mini series with me mm-hmm. about my like trip in Europe, right? Like in the f- specific odd things I did with food, right? Like the first thing I did was got a, a, a gyro in Geneva, nice because like I lived in Queens for <laughs> the five years, five, six years before that, and I used to eat one every day, right? Under Queens Boulevard, how are they? So that was the first thing I did, it was super spicy, all right. It was like 4.30 in the morning and it was like snowing and I just had a big backpack and I was walking around eating this gyro. Nice. It was just like making my eyes weep. And then I went to the grocery store like the next day and bought like horse meat. Yeah, I've had horse and in I Japan cooked, actually. I cooked some horse for, horse for myself. Wow. You know, and then later on when I was in Paris, like my buddies, uh, I met a guy who was a tattoo artist there and mm-hmm. he decided to, he was going to Paris and we'd link up and hang out again. And he had a joke where he dared me to eat a uh, 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 beef penis uh, at a yakitori spot, <laughs> and he was like talking in French where he thought I didn't understand it. I knew exactly what was going on. I didn't care. So you got to so know someone's funny. someone's messing with you if they're getting you to eat beef in a yakitori place, though. It was probably chicken penis, I think. <laughs> no, it was pretty large. I think it was too big to be a chicken penis. Rooster. But um, yeah, rooster. Yeah, I guess Sorry, the uh, pronouns. Right. But no, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of like a uh, calamari. Or something. Yeah, I've been. But to it was those, just like uh, a lot of weird stuff, you know. Yeah. So do you? Um, I mean, I guess I'll just ask, and then we'll shift gears to talking about opening your own business. But um, what are your some of your favorite foods? And like, what do you? You know, what were you looking for out in your travels? Like, were you chasing particular types of food? Um, in my travels. Um, I planned my trip pretty well. So I ate at like a crazy amount of like Michelin star restaurants, mm-hmm. like tickets in Barcelona, uh, Pierre Gagnier in uh, Paris. Um, I actually like ran out of money at one point. I was supposed to eat at uh, Elaine Ducasse's place mm-hmm. uh, in Paris. And then I ended up meeting him later and I told him his restaurant was too expensive. See, he, he came to Wolfgang Puck when I was working there. And I, I said hi. I shook my hand and I said, "Hey, I had to cancel my meal for lunch at your restaurant a couple of years ago. It was like so expensive, man. I, I didn't have six hundred fifty dollars for lunch." Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> the the pro tip for anyone in Europe: go to these fancy restaurants and go eat lunch. Mm. Oh, it's that's like a good one, right? Forty percent of the entire cost of the dinner, and it's almost the same amount of food. Yeah. In most places, it's like the so. uh, you know, like our grandparents in Florida, you know, the early birds. Yeah, it's exactly like that. And it's, it's really chill and right. it gives you the rest of the day to walk around and that's actually, um, yeah, that's a cool idea. You know. Yeah, so that's the best way to do that. Nice. So what were you doing um, feel, for Wolfgang Puck? 
Uh, I opened up the restaurant downtown in the Four Seasons when they opened his first New York restaurant, which wasn't reviewed nicely. Mm. There was some comment about the restaurant being designed by someone who wanted it to be sexy but had probably never had sex <laughs> or something along the lines of Pete Wells' real zinger. Um, uh, so, yeah, this was like one of the moves I did after Europe, and uh, that kind of led up to me becoming the chef of a restaurant in Hell's Kitchen. Because I guess like I had enough buzzworthy things on my resume that made me seem more well-rounded than like the steak guy, gotcha. having having been at like Keens and Smith and Walensky's and mm-hmm. places like that. And then uh, I was still pretty young when I got that job. I think I would want to say I was around that point where I said I wasn't crazy anymore. So right. I was like 20, 27, um, maybe twenty six, twenty seven, and uh, I had a my own restaurant for two years, which is pretty crazy. And what was that restaurant? It's called Kilo Food and Wine. Mm-hmm. It's in Hell's Kitchen. It's like a 40-seat restaurant. And it was kind of like a, uh, like a, a, a restaurant that lost its way, mm-hmm. where it just kind of like really went downhill when they hired me. And I don't – I think the owner like thought I could turn it around. Right. And then I turned it around and just like floored the gas pedal – to the point where he was always trying to tell me to like take it take it take it back mm-hmm. not that i didn't make him money like we hit record numbers we did really well we got a lot of press write-ups and stuff um but he was like it was i always really wanted to do more mm-hmm. uh and like try to get some accolades or something which really is like not a healthy mindset to have right but i constantly changed the menu and uh all that kind of stuff and uh you know, did like 200 different dishes like every year. And wow. every time people would, people would come weekly and the menu would be half different and they'd be excited and order some of the new stuff and make a comment like, oh, I really wish this was still there on the menu. Right. So it was always kind of funny that as much as people, I would always tell guests, I'm like, you only miss it because it's not there. Mm-hmm. If it was on the menu, you wouldn't order it because you had it last week. Right. So it was kind of funny. <clears throat> it's a tough balance. But, uh, I'm sorry. I said it's a tough balance. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's almost like I, I think of so many things in terms of music, but, um, there are a lot of parallels I feel like between being a chef and a musician. And, you know, one of those things it's like, I mean, it's almost like playing your hits, right? It's like everyone expects Skinner to play Freebird. I think Skinner (laughs) remains, uh, like grateful for it, but I think there's plenty of artists that like get sick of playing the same crap and they want to play their new stuff. You know, it's kind of yeah. Like, it's like when a new album comes out and right. they're like, oh, it doesn't sound like the last album. Or yeah. I'm like, why would you want the same album twice? Right. But I think it's. Are you familiar with like, the history of Weezer? Yeah. So he wrote the second album. No one liked it, and he locked himself in a room for like a year with just like a lizard and like cried. Right. Like I don't know when people are like, oh. Uh, what? I want the old. I I just feel good knowing that they like the old. Right. And then if you see them again after they missed, they complained about the old. Right. You know that you have enough staying power, or they like the nude thing enough to see the third album. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't quit on you. It just wasn't as like didn't have that mass appeal where you just you couldn't take it off the menu. And now he's got the last laugh because he's friggin' playing Toto for people. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope I don't get end up. I'm, I think starting my own business hit. is so I don't become Weezer. I don't want to be playing Toto. I don't want to be doing the greatest hits. I don't want to be playing half the Blue album every tour date right. um, and making like electro synth pop with uh, whatever DJ Kangaroo or whoever these guys are. Right. <laughs> so I'm trying not to. I think that's a huge part of the punk DIY. What I want to do with my business is mm. to kind of always be evolving and customize all the dinners for every single guest and you know what i mean really right. be this like i don't know like weird uh i almost said virus but <laughs> yeah. this weird like ever growing evolving like mutation that's mm. like constantly getting better go with and, fungus you know, a fungus yeah, yeah you're a fungi um, yeah i'm a fun guy yeah exactly so you picked the perfect time um to start a new business which is like 2019 leading into 2020 um, how, you know, what was your mindset about starting your business and how did it come about? Um, so I had, uh, a death in the family. That's a good typo negative reference right there. Mm. 
Um, and so I decided to move home to, um, uh, New Jersey to be closer to my family. Cause, uh, I didn't attend the funeral and I didn't really spend a lot of time with my family in that, uh, instance. And then I felt like, why am I so consumed by everything? Like maybe I need to focus on like other aspects of my life as well. And so I relocated New Jersey and then I kind of was like, I don't know where I can work or where I want to work. And then I kind of was like, I want to start this business because mm-hmm. like I kind of laid out some schematics of how to do public dinners, how to do private dinners and, you know, tried to figure out like, would this work? And kind of back to what I was saying before with there's some of these restaurants now in New Jersey that are kind of like city restaurants, right? but they're in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And if they can stay open and pay their bills, then if I don't even have uh, 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 location, then shouldn't I be able to pay my bills? If I don't have a dishwasher, if I don't have a staff, if I don't have a lease. Right. So that was a lot of into the planning. And then I wanted to take things that I knew from all my education, training and, and career Mm. and kind of apply that to, um, my guest experience and my, final product that I deliver to the guests, you know, that's cool. So how many of your special events, um, dinners had you done like until recently? I want to say I'm at 15 or 16. Cool. I think I was supposed to be in Baltimore yesterday, but Mm -hmm. that got canceled. I think that was 16. Uh, maybe it was 15, Right. but yeah. And I mean, I started in October. Okay. So I want to say in December I did six dinners. That's cool. So, um, yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, just trying to keep the, the ball rolling. Um, and collaborations have been really fun. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like just the fact that people have been receptive enough to be, Hey man, like come do dinner here or do a dinner for the supper club I'm starting or at my restaurant. It's been really kind of interesting. That is cool. Um, cause I have no background in New Jersey really whatsoever. Right. I'm not like that guy who knows all the people in the restaurants in New Jersey. So it's really funny when I come into someone's home and they're like, Oh, do you know so-and-so restaurant? I'm like, yeah, I've eaten there. And like, do you know the chef there? And I'm like, I have no idea who that is. (laughs) I'm like, it's just so funny to be so disconnected because people take it in a weird way. And I've tried to like really reach out and figure out who these people are in New Jersey. So it's been really cool. There's some really, um, at least in an email sense, friendly people, Mm -hmm like social media presence like if i go to a restaurant now and like that person is connected with me and they like send me a dm and ask me how it was or whatever it's pretty interesting right because that would never happen to me in new york and i know a lot of people in new york Mm -hmm. like maybe they'll send me out a dish or like say hi right but like i don't know those are people i've like worked with and stuff right and so like to have that happen there isn't weird but i've never had that happen in new jersey ever so like community wise like new jersey's been uh, pretty cool. Right. Obviously some people haven't been cool, but that's cool. That's, that's a different show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so once like, um, coronavirus kicks in and, you know, events are shutting down and all that stuff, what do you do now when that's like the basis of your business? Um, in all honesty, uh, just got to buckle down the hatches and weather the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, funds really sitting around before right. that, you know, so I've canceled a couple dinners, mm-hmm. uh, supposed to be doing a private dinner tomorrow that we're just going to re change the date. Mm-hmm. Um, so are, know. are people still booking private dinners and like, do you even want to be in that situation? Uh, I'm not, I, if I don't want to sound super reckless, I haven't cooked. The last dinner I did was on the 12th, right? The public dinner in a restaurant. And this was like the day before, like, this was like the day the NHL stopped. Gotcha. So that was like really like <laughs> gut leading into that dinner. It was like, everything was kind of falling around, but the right. restaurant was still open and re- restaurants were still open until the other, like last week. Yeah. So that wasn't that weird, but it was like really kind of made me nervous Mm -hmm. and then um once everything got kind of canceled um 
it's just kind of been strange. I had someone email me last night about a bachelorette party in August. Oh, really? I don't feel bad saying that because it's like not too much information, but I think people are looking not in the near future, but I think people are looking at least like three months out. Gotcha. Um, I would like to hopefully, you know, 60 days from now, you know, people start booking stuff for, you know, two months from now and right. kind of see, um, you know, cause obviously everyone can't get tested. I can't like make people get tested cause they can't even get it. And then before I go into their house or anything, it just kind of has to be, uh, yeah, it's a really weird dynamic. Like I know a lot of, a, a bunch of people in other professions that like, <clears throat> you know, in, involve being around people, um, or going to see people's homes and it's like, you know, it's just a, you start thinking like, is it worth the, whatever I'm going to make to do this and be in that situation? And yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot to take yeah. into account. Yeah, no, it is. It is really strange. Um, I think once people know more about it, like how long it lives on a countertop for mm -hmm. or something like that, um, I think it'll help make better decisions and what to do. Right. Um, I'm just somebody who with the dinner tomorrow, I didn't want to be the person that canceled. Right. I was like, it was a really small dinner for only two people, a husband and a wife mm -hmm. for an anniversary. And I was just like, I reached out last week and I, you know, I didn't want to be the person saying I wasn't going to do it, which right. sounds really stubborn, but me and th two other people isn't like a mass gathering. So I felt like the odds were pretty good. Right. Like, I got bit by a dog before my dinner last week. I had a huge, like, I should have got stitches probably. <laughs> and I didn't cancel. I, you know, I put a bandage on my arm and right. you know, I did, I did the, I did the dinner. So I'm just someone who doesn't want to have to cancel. Obviously sure. I don't want to be like spreading a disease, but as far as I know, right. uh, I don't, I don't have it and I haven't been cooking. So before anyone slides in my DMS and tells me I'm being irresponsible, right? I'm not, but hopefully in, in the future, I don't want to, I don't want to close the business that, invested a lot of time in building a brand and mm -hmm. networking and reaching out to people. I mean, yeah. And it seems I'm on like the show with you right now. That's right. Things are looking up, man. <laughs> another publication. Well, everyone wants to talk to me about my crippling failure. I just had a write up for some, some, uh, food company in New Jersey and right. interviewing local businesses. And mm. I'm like, man, I wish I could get press about not all my dinners getting canceled. Yeah. I wish yeah, I could yeah. get more press about upcoming events and right. ways that people could attend. <laughs> well, I think what's interesting to me is like what business owner, and look, I'm in the same situation right now. Like, you know, like business is hard to come by these days. And, um, you know, I think what's interesting is figuring out how people are, are dealing with that. Like as a business owner, like, what do you do? And, I noticed you're doing, um, you know, some new stuff on Instagram, like preparing videos and how to tips. And, you know, it's a great way to, to keep building your brand. Maybe you're able to do things that you wouldn't have time to do if you were planning a lot of dinners and had other things going on. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have, I have so much time. Yeah. I did a couple dinners right before, uh, I mean, demos before we just got on the phone mm -hmm. and, um, a lot of people were suggesting, <laughs> sorry, uh, I just ate a spicy that, chili pepper. Was that a dry cough? <laughs> yeah, I, I ate a I ate a pickled chili I I, I had um, next to me. I just put, popped in my mouth and it made me cough. Don't worry, I'm, I'm safe. <laughs> um, uh, so I've had more time to do it, but it's just about not. I don't want to become this instructor. I have no desire really to be a continuing teacher. Right. But I figured everyone's at home cooking. Um. I don't think I could make anybody a good cook through any of these videos, mm. but if, you know, any of that seeps into your head. Yeah, you could pick up Because going some... back to, like, before, about 10 years ago, you know, there's this continuing information with food. Mm -hmm. Guests are so much more educated now than um, they were in the past, even five five years ago. Yeah. Oh, more yeah, like the, totally. That Portlandia episode where they want to know the name of the chicken. Right. Uh, that you're serving them. His name was Harry. <laughs> he lived a good life, <laughs> you know, which is, which is fine about being responsible to an extent. Um, mm. you know, uh, you know, obviously there's so many great places now here that you want to, you know, you know, I want to have vegetables from drop the bee farms. I want to have, right. uh, 
microgreens from there's like three different places in freehold that have microgreens hometown and beyond organics it's 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 crazy like that i have to even like rotate these people in to like support multiple businesses (laughs) you know what i mean like i can't even imagine i couldn't have imagined that like three or four years ago right i wonder um you know one thing it's cool like could you do a uh a dinner for people like that maybe you just hop on a zoom call with them and instead of you being there to prepare it you talk them through it in the kitchen or something you know there might be like weird alternatives to keep interacting with people i know you don't want to be an instructor but you know just yeah i just don't know you're gonna make me double down on saying that i've managed my personality and anger <laughs> a couple <laughs> yeah, years ago a, if i had to do that let's see you prove it man um, i'd have to be like no 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 um and then scream really loud into the computer microphone until it exploded that's right well, i mean look end up uh, making the hardcore music more i more mean so. um you know, Gordon Ramsay can control his temper to instruct people. I'm sure he, you can too, right? Well, if I had $160 million in the bank, I'd be smiling a lot more than I currently smile. Because I don't think I'm like a person who's in a bad mood. Right. Um, but, you know, there's something, I don't know. It, I think educating people is a, is a lot like being a parent. Mm-hmm. And that's not something I have on the table yeah. or something I foresee myself doing in the future. Right. Um, so I feel like when it comes to instructing, it seems like, no, no, no. I saw a Kevin Hart stand up thing the other day where he's like, no, 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 mm. no, 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 uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and I, I just, you know, he's like, who wants to do that all day? You know, I, I don't know if I'm definitely someone who doesn't want to do that all day. Right. The most I can do is tell my cat to like, stop scratching my thousand dollar mattress whenever he feels like doing it and I, i'm already tired of that i'm thinking about like giving the cat away that's right no i love the cat i could never give him away all right that's good i hope his snoring isn't recorded in the audio he's not watching you with great interest no he, he fell asleep i hope everyone listening to this isn't asleep this dude too. i wish i could send you a picture um yeah, we. Uh, I didn't have my act together enough to do this on video as well, so we're just strictly audio this time. Um, but we'll do that another time. Um, so tell me, what do you do in your free time, like uh, for hobbies? I know you love music. Who are some of your go-to bands? You sent me one earlier. Um, that was pretty. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I was listening to your show, and then uh, I actually used to book that guy's other bands. Oh, used to really? be a straight edge band called Breakaway, mm-hmm. and I did a show for them in Brick once or twice. Now he's in that band I sent you. Um, Music-wise, for me, um, I'm kind of all over the place with, like, music. But, uh, you know, I really like this band, uh, Twitching Tongues. Mm -hmm. I think they're in a couple of my, uh, they kind of sound like a newer typo negative. Right. I think I wear their t-shirts a lot on accident in some of my videos. I like a lot of, well, I like a lot of music. Music keeps me occupied. Mm -hmm. really like 108. Right. Like a Hari Krishna band. I think we spoke about that once. Mm. Um, you know, Who's in, I, is it, uh, I don't remember one of, are they newer or are they an older? No. So um, Zach De La Rocha was in Inside Out. Right. And then he left to do Rage Against Machine and all the guys from Inside Out moved to New York and they got this guy from New Jersey mm. and they started this Hari Krishna band. So they're like the true not sellouts playing Coachella. They're like all like sex is suffering and don't eat animals and right. don't drink alcohol and still very angry. That's funny. Somehow. I mean, I used well, to be, uh, in a prior life worked with a lot of, uh, like Krishna core bands from back in the day, mm-hmm. like shelter. And, um, that oh, was the other one I was telling you about baby go Paul. Um, there was like, you know, there's obviously a lot of different bands around and all those dudes jumped from different band to different band and the New York scene around those days, you know, yeah, no, it is, it is really, really wild. Like, to for me to talk about music is, like, almost like a whole episode as well. Mm. But I guess my hobbies are definitely, like, going to shows, um, uh, trying to do more in New Jersey, go to more shows in New Jersey. Um, my partner just lives in Brooklyn still, so mm. I'm kind of in the city a lot. Right. So, you know, I kind of plan my trips around going to see a band or, <laughs> right. uh, or something. So she always makes fun of me for that. Uh, she's like, you coming to see me or are you coming to see that band? <laughs> I'm like, both, both. I mean, I try to work when I'm in the city too. That's cool. But hobbies, big hockey fan, big Flyers fan. 
it was really crushing that they stopped the season. Oh yeah, you and got a lot of hockey met. cards, don't you? Yeah, I have a really big uh, John Leclaire collection. A lot of people make fun of me for it. <laughs> What's I have like your, 30 uh... vintage starter shirts, like all from the 90s, with like cartoon characters of like the Legion of Doom and stuff on them. Nice. You have an Instagram for that? I do, but I don't want people checking it out. <laughs> I, I'm sure if you type John LeClaire into Instagram, not a lot of stuff comes out. But I proudly boast that I have the largest collection in the world. I have no shame. I have come across that before somewhere on Instagram. I saw those. Your yeah, because it's linked to my phone number. So if you uh, have my phone number, it probably nice. pops up in the algorithm at some point. I was like, people you may know or something. That's funny. A man. lot of people have found it and um, been like, what is this? So you is still that you? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So you still on the hunt for hockey cards? Um, well, financially right now, not really. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm like, what I even need is super rare. But the community that they have in collecting is really good. Right. So I have people send me stuff like all the time as gifts. Um, there's a guy, I'll shout him out, Greg Cox. He lives in Washington <laughs> State. He works on the railroad for like Amtrak and all these companies. He's like right. an engineer. And he sent me almost every Carter Hart rookie from last year. Wow. And these are like he, these are like money cards. These are like hundred, couple hundred dollar cards. Really? And he just keeps mailing them to me because he doesn't want them. No way. When he could easily just list them on eBay and make like three hundred bucks. Right. He just mails them to me. That's cool. So I actually have a pretty good Philadelphia Flyers collection of recent players uh -huh. that I've inherited for free, pretty much. That's sick. You mail um, that dude anything in return? Uh, yeah, I find him some stuff, but right. dude, I'm at like, I maybe sent him $70 worth of stuff. And right. He's probably sent me like three grand. That's pretty funny. So man. I have a lot of, uh, but he's just a good dude. He's just, uh, you know, you know, a cool guy. Right. And I've met a lot of people like that and I've done as much as I could to like help out people. That's cool. So it's a really interesting community. It's like mm -hmm. really, really about like going back to 108 and Krishna. It's really about giving and then somehow it finds its way back to you because you really never know when something's going to surface right on the market that's really cool you know or what you're going to find at like a weird uh small town sports card expo right you find uh something that there's like four copies of you pick it up and mail it to somebody that person's gonna love you to death that's cool man my third typo negative joke i've made now <laughs> my typo like knowledge is very limited like i uh, Christian woman was like my go-to and I never really got that into typo negative beyond that. Like I will um, forgive you yeah. because you do not know what you have done. <laughs> That's the beginning of Christian woman. By the way. Yeah, for people, for she does not know what she has done. That's right. I yeah, mean, sorry. I love I'm not, like, that too. I'm not that big of a fan even. Like I like Peter Steele. I like the fans, right. but, uh, you know, it's just like, something about that tape getting destroyed it's mm. like in, like in my head it's like all i can think about and all i can think about is uh doing that the, the snl intro voice for everything i want to say i have to hold it back right. like evan bomber <laughs> it's like all i all i've been thinking about this whole phone call that's hilarious yeah i used to work with a dude pete uh and he was the biggest typo negative fan and he had a band that like basically was just like you know him his version of typo like trying to get a deal or whatever it was funny i think they i think they play now but with like a guy who looks like peter Steele. right and i think it's the same band i'm not really sure they're called um i forget like it's a joke on carnivore or something uh, or oh carnivore ad uh, okay and i think they mostly play carnivore songs do they but it's really odd i don't know they've been playing some of the bigger metal fests <laughs> that's cool i don't know if i'd be interested in seeing it but I mean, good for them, I guess. Yeah, you got to keep it rolling, man. Um, all right, cool. I'm at that age now where I've seen so many bands with, like, replacement members because, like, somebody's died. Mm, totally. And you're like, you still want to kind of experience it, but it is kind of, if it's for, like, a good cause, it's always like, oh, okay. Right. But it, the, now that you think about how many bands you've, like, I've seen that have done that, it's, like, kind of crazy makes me feel like an old man. Yeah, I read something a while ago that, like, a lot of bands were actually viewing, um, the band as like that type of business model, basically saying like, you know, the band is this business that will go on in eternity with like new members, you know, playing the old shit and all that stuff. So it's, it, it is weird. I don't know. Yeah. To me, like I'm so connected to like it, certain personalities, you know what I mean? Um, that I, you know, I don't really care to go see, um, like for me, my hero grown up was Ace Freely. 
So like to to go see Kiss now without Ace, like it doesn't do it for me really, you know, like um I mean I, I probably sure. would, but you know. So I think for some bands like you're always connected to certain people. Like, you know, it's like seeing Van Halen without Eddie, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I can see that for sure. Right. One of my favorite bands is called Self Defense Family. Right. And it's all based around this one guy and I listen to his podcast and all this stuff. This right. dude like consumes my life like this guy patrick kinlan i I can't escape him my girlfriend's like you talk about this guy so much because <laughs> i listen to all his po- he's like, on three different podcasts really and then like he has that band and then all the members change every album right and like he's like such like a like a personality mm. like he's like a, a twitter uh what's the word where you're like uh, a troll right and like he's just like this like person a very opinionated person mm. and so like Granted, I you know it just really ties itself together, but I'm never gonna knock a band if it's not like all original members or something like. Right. Turning Point played a show, I don't know for like some uh, charity or something like five six years ago, and mm-hmm. a different person sang right. every track. Like it had a different guest vocalist because the singer died in like 1994 or something. Right. And it's just like, oh, we want the new generation of kids to, like, hear this band. Right. Be able to, like, jump off speakers and, like, see it live. <laughs> and that's going to get people into it more so than, like, a YouTube video of, like, really bad quality from, like, a VHS from, totally. like, 1992 in a basement. <laughs> totally. I mean, there's definitely you know. times where it works, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to you know. totally rule it out. All right. So I'm going to check out Self-Defense Family. Um, 108. I'll fire that up. A little Twitching Tongues. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll make you. I'll make you like a romantic playlist. Sweet. <laughs> I, I can go off the rails of listing bands like yeah. Cold World, big, big in the Cold World. Right. Uh, War Hungry. My T-shirt's actually like a rip on a War Hungry shirt. That's nice. Ripping on a, a War Zone shirt. I've got a War Zone shirt about. actually. Yeah. Oh my god! I'll buy it off you. That was. I gotta I'll find it. You. That was my favorite shirt ever. It was like my one long sleeve T-shirt. It was like a black oh, War Zone shirt. Sleeve? Yeah. I gotta get you to get me that before you find out. You can sell it on eBay for like yeah. four hundred dollars. It's really funny. Is like T-shirt stories. I think there was a band, and I wish I don't want to say the wrong band, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, I want to say it was Nevada Beach, um, and. Like they thought they made it because like a dude was wearing their t-shirt in a porno. <laughs> so like <laughs> they were like so ecstatic, like dude, we have arrived, man. You there know? was something called the Bridge Nine Record. Uh, Bridge Nine Records like had a forum on the internet mm-hmm. in the two thousands, and there was a whole thread always of like band posters or band t-shirts and pornos. Oh right, that's really funny. And uh, <laughs> it was always a very funny thread because a lot of the people in the bands were on the forum. And people right. Would, like, make jokes and stuff especially if it was like you know a really weird porno right right totally and um yeah and also i guess while we're on this topic if you think my shirts are cool that i wear i literally just sold a whole mess of t-shirts to uh the uh asbury wave in asbury park the thrift store oh did you really i like pretty much almost donated them right but i mean you should still pay whatever you know that shop's really cool Mm. so if you're ever like now he started posting them, and now I'm like feeling like all nostalgic. Where I'm like, oh man, like, I wish I had that I went on, like my first date and wore that T-shirt in like middle school. <laughs> that's killer. Yeah, you know, so that's a cool shop, though. That is cool. Check that out. All right, so Matt, we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, I encourage people to follow you on Instagram and interact at Chef Collins Events. Um, look for your website at ChefCollinsEvents.com. Uh, any special requests? Things people can do for you right now? Um, no, check out what I'm doing. Tell a friend if they're like a foodie or maybe pick up a t-shirt. Cool. Uh, I'm always on online for the most part. Cool. Uh, I'm always interacting and you taking how to cook something. You taking reservations like for future events right now? So like, I know you got a bachelorette yeah. party. So it's like if someone wanted to do, I got a, uh, you know, birthday in September, they could book it up right now. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, typically I need about three weeks in advance, mm-hmm. um, to lock everything in, make sure I can get everything get you to approve a menu, et cetera. Right. So typically like, you know, receive the deposit. So typically I don't book anything before that, like short, short notice. I mean, you could try, but so, you know, hopefully if something you reached out to me by the time you hear this podcast and you want something a month later, hopefully we're in the financial clear. We're letting the dust settle at that point. Yeah. Let's hope so for sure. All right, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Evan. All right, you got it, man. Um, Check out Matt once again at Chef Collins Events. 
and follow me on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Mullocast. The Mullocast is brought to you by Balmer Law Group, your one stop for entertainment, business, and real estate legal services. Check them out online at balmerlawgroup.com. The Mullocast is recorded weekly at the Pod Studios in Asbury Park. Recorded and mixed by Genevieve Nelson. Your host is Evan Balmer. Follow him on Instagram at Evan Balmer. Get your Mullocast merch at UncleRonnie'sTeabag.com. That's Uncle Ronnie's R-O-N-N-I-E-S T-E-E-B-A-G. UncleRonnie'sTeabag.com. The Mullocast theme was composed and recorded by Tyler Vipe. Follow Tyler online. Check out all his latest musical endeavors at Tyler Vipe Music on Instagram. Mullocast theme vocals were performed by Presley Bomber. Follow her on Instagram at Presley Sky Music. Mullocast voices, laughs, and general shenanigans, courtesy of Madison Bomber and Bryce Bomber.